We've all had an acute illness that resulted in vomiting. We think it's the worst. But imagine having a condition that causes you to experience severe episodes of vomiting for hours or even days. It is pretty awful. People vomit and retch to the point where they're completely exhausted. On today's show, discover the latest on the chronic GI condition known as cyclic vomiting syndrome. In addition to the vomiting, there can be profound nausea. People can have symptoms of sort of almost anxiety and panic because they know it's coming and they don't know how to control it. And later, we'll hear from somebody in our community who has it. An episode's coming on, the world is second, and all you care about is feeling better. You really don't care about anything else in the world. It's sad to say, but that's how crappy you feel. We're learning about cyclic vomiting syndrome inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Bellmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Freighter's Hospital, Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions in advancing biomedical research and finding new drugs, treatments, therapeutics, and interventions that are better, faster, and more economical than ever. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. We've all vomited at one time or another, usually from a viral infection or something we ate that didn't agree with our digestive system. But imagine having episodes of vomiting that last for several hours or even several days, accompanied by severe abdominal and head pain. Awful, right? But for people afflicted with cyclic vomiting syndrome, it's a very real and very serious chronic condition. Dr. Thangam Benkatesan is Professor, Division of Gastroenterology, at the Medical College of Wisconsin, whose clinical expertise is cyclic vomiting syndrome. She's established a clinic that serves patients across the U.S., Canada, and Puerto Rico, and she serves as the Chief Medical Advisor of the Cyclic Vomiting Syndrome Association. We spoke with her recently to learn more. Dr. Venkatesan tells us cyclic vomiting syndrome, or CVS, is... Cyclic vomiting syndrome is what we call a chronic functional gastrointestinal disorder. And it's very important for physicians to try and recognize this disorder and treat it appropriately because you can essentially change somebody's life. Cyclic vomiting syndrome. The name alone just sounds awful. Is it as bad as it sounds? It is pretty awful. If you've actually seen somebody in the throes of a CVS episode, it's terrible. People vomit and retch to the point where they're completely exhausted and essentially feeling out of control. How serious a patient's CVS episodes are can vary across a spectrum ranging from mild to severe. Yeah, it is a broad spectrum. There are some patients I have who have very mild disease and uh, they're able to control it very well. But then there are some people who suffer and have to come to the hospital every single time they have an episode. So clearly there's a wide spectrum as far as the severity goes. How common is CVS? 
Dr. Venkatesan says while the numbers may not be staggering, it's more common than you might think. The prevalence of CVS is about 2%. If you want to put this in perspective, I think people are more familiar with diseases like celiac disease or maybe inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. The prevalence of CVS is the same as that of celiac disease. Of course, everyone vomits at some point. So how does CVS differ from what most of us experience when we're sick? People can have the flu or an illness and they can vomit, but this is what we call an episodic stereotypic disorder. So they have repetitive cycles of nausea and vomiting that can occur every three to four weeks to every three to four months, but you don't get the flu eight times a year. So that's how it differs from just a single vomiting episode from say a virus or a bacteria or even food poisoning or something else. Are there other common symptoms associated with a CVS episode. In addition to the vomiting, there can be profound nausea. A lot of people can also have abdominal pain. People can have migraine headaches. They can be very sensitive to the light, sensitive to sound. They can have symptoms of sort of almost anxiety and panic because they know it's coming and they don't know how to control it, particularly patients who are not diagnosed. And she adds that many patients notice patterns associated with their symptoms that lead to CVS episodes. Yes, there are different types of CVS patients who will have these episodes of CVS along with their menstrual period. That's one pattern. Some people can pretty much tell you when they are going to have their next episode. So if they have it, say, October 3rd, then they will say, okay, December 3rd, I'm going to have this again. And many of these patients will also have their episodes start in the early morning hours. And patients will often just wake up and have severe nausea and then start vomiting, though it can occur at other times as well. Can the symptoms of a CVS episode lead to other health complications? She says they can, and she shares a few. Complications of CVS, patients can have severe dehydration, they often get admitted to the hospital. There are some patients who can even have some mild degrees of renal dysfunction if they get very dehydrated. Very rarely, patients can actually vomit blood and they can develop a tear in the esophagus. So these are some of the acute complications that can occur. When someone's experiencing a CVS episode, how long does it typically last? In general, on average, for adults, I would say that it can last three to five days. However, there are patients where it just lasts for a few hours, and then there are some patients where it lasts up to a week or even longer. Just imagine how challenging that must be. Well, we'll hear a first-hand account from a patient with CVS in a bit. But first, Dr. Venkatesan explains there are four distinct phases to a CVS episode. Phases of CVS was actually first described by David Fleischer, a pediatric gastroenterologist, and he was the first one who accurately described these phases of CVS. Beginning with the prodromal phase. The first phase is what we call the prodromal phase, which means that you have a prodrome or you have a premonition and you have some symptoms before you actually start vomiting. So you could have nausea, you could have an impending sense of doom, some people just have a little bit of abdominal pain, some people get hiccups, and they know that it's coming. 
Next, the emetic phase. The emetic phase is the second phase where you are throwing up. So it's called the emetic phase, which is another word for vomiting. Followed by the recovery phase. During the recovery phase, the patient is essentially recuperating and all the symptoms slowly abate and they are slowly able to start eating and tolerating an oral diet. And then there's the phase that CVS patients hope will last the longest. Finally, you have what's called the interepisodic phase or the asymptomatic phase and most people are well so they go back to baseline though there are some patients who can have what is called interepisodic nausea or dyspepsia where they don't feel completely well they will have some very mild symptoms but nothing like what they would have during an episode so who's most likely to be afflicted with cvs Dr. Venkatesan says it was once thought to be more common in children, but recent research indicates this isn't the case. CBS actually affects people of all age groups, but a lot of people thought it was a pediatric disorder, which is not accurate. So it can occur anywhere between two and even four years of age, and I have patients all the way up to 80, but it typically affects adults in like their 20s and 30s, and that's the time when there's a lot of life stress and major life events that occur. Is there a difference along gender lines. There's some conflicting data as far as gender. It seems some studies indicate that it affects women more than men. But again, there are some conflicting reports regarding that. What about race? As far as race, it's a little hard to tell. I mean, it seems to affect mostly Caucasians, but this is data from the U.S. Clearly, there must be patients from other countries, though I don't think they're as well documented, say, maybe in Asia or in India and so on. I mean, I've seen patients with cyclic vomiting from other countries as well, but we don't know the exact prevalence and we don't have exact data in certain countries. Is comorbidity associated with CVS? In other words, do patients with CVS commonly have other health issues? They do. You very rarely see a patient who only has CVS. So there's a lot of comorbidity. They have a lot of anxiety and depression, and most of them seem to have migraine headaches. In fact, children who have CVS, about 70 to 80% of them will outgrow it and develop migraine headaches. So there's a very strong link with migraine headaches. What about diagnosis? How is CVS diagnosed? Is there a test or biomarker to detect it? That's a great question. Unfortunately, there is no biomarker or test that can make the diagnosis. So like with other functional GI disorders, we actually rely on a set of clinical criteria that is established by a group of experts who look at the literature and so on. So that's really what we have. Hopefully, we can actually get biomarkers in the future, but we're not there. Not yet, but the hope is that there'll be more known about CVS in the not too distant future. Meanwhile, is misdiagnosis a concern? Very much so. I think it was misdiagnosed a lot. In fact, we had a study about 10 years ago when there was less knowledge about CVS, and this was in the emergency room, where we found that more than 95% of ED physicians didn't know about CVS and were not able to make a diagnosis of CVS. Obviously, this is an episodic condition, and so it's very important to take that history to understand that the patient is not having their 10th attack of flu, and that this is really something that's periodic and the diagnosis should be made. Is there any known cause of CVS? We don't know the cause. Certainly there seems to be some genetic component. I think there's an environmental component, but this is all very early data and we hope to get more funding to figure out what's causing CVS. But even in the absence of a known cause, Dr. Venkatesan says it's a mistake to think of this as a disease only of the GI tract. While we don't know what the cause is, it is what we call a 
brain gut disorder. So, you know, I tell my patients that the center for nausea and vomiting is not in your stomach, it's in your brain. Okay, so it is a valid diagnosis, but I think we have to look at it differently. It's like a brain disorder. And there are multiple things that can act on this center for nausea and vomiting. And that's what we're trying to find out. And she says for many patients, there are known triggers for a CBS attack. There are definitely known triggers. The most common trigger is stress. Others could be actually a menstrual period. Some people are very sensitive to weather changes. So some patients get it mostly in the winter or mostly in summer. Sleep deprivation for college kids. So suddenly they can control some of these things. Stress is something that's universal. And while we can't change the stressful events, we can certainly change our response to stress. And so try to either mitigate or avoid some of these triggers. What about food? You'd think that would be a trigger, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's a very good question. We get that a lot. In CVS per se, a lot of patients actually don't seem to identify foods as triggers. Some people can have specific triggers like say wine or cheese and so on, but it seems to be not as common in CVS. So I tell people that they should have a normal healthy diet. We do tell people to avoid starving because sometimes starvation can also trigger CVS episodes. Next, let's look at treatment. Through her years of research, Dr. Venkatesan concludes that CVS requires a multidisciplinary approach with a biopsychosocial model of care. She explains what this means. What that means is CVS is not just an isolated disease. I spoke about how stress can trigger it. They can also have other comorbid conditions. And so I think just having a gastroenterologist is not enough. Certainly we can treat anxiety and depression, but they need a mental health services. They need access to these services because aside from the medications and pharmacotherapy, they need all of these other services that can really help them get better and lead productive lives. Her research finds that treatment for CVS can be divided into three categories, depending on the level of severity and frequency of an individual patient's episodes. First, there's prophylactic treatment therapy. Prophylactic means prevention. So if you're having frequent episodes, they're long, you're landing up in the emergency room or the hospital and it's really interrupting your activities of daily living, then you need preventive therapy because you really want to try and prevent those episodes. And so that's when we start preventive therapy with different medications. Second is abortive treatment therapy. Abortive therapy or rescue therapy is sometimes despite preventive therapy, you can have episodes and that is to try and abort or actually stop an episode when you feel like it's coming on. So it's more acute treatment. And third, supportive treatment therapy. Supportive treatment is the hosses out of the barn. Essentially, whether you're on preventive therapy or not, you're sick and you're throwing up or maybe your aborted medications have not worked or maybe you don't have them. And at that time, you just need to support the patient. So you give them IV fluids, you rehydrate the patient, which by itself can make it better. You give them what's called anti-emetics to prevent or treat the nausea and vomiting. You treat the pain. So you help them get better, and that's what's called supportive therapy. Are there effective medications in treating or preventing CVS episodes? So in terms of prevention, one of the medications that's most effective in terms of preventing CVS is a very old drug. It's called amitriptyline, and though it's in the class of what we call a tricyclic antidepressant, it works independent of its antidepressant properties because we don't use it as high doses as psychiatrists used to use it in the past. People don't use this class of antidepressants as much because there are newer agents. But those newer drugs actually don't work for CVS. 
So there are some agents that have been tested in CVS, but certainly we need more effective therapies. What about alternative therapies for treating CVS? like medical marijuana. While marijuana is a known anti-emetic, so, you know, it can actually prevent nausea and vomiting. It's also used for stress, but it can also have the opposite effect in certain patients who are genetically predisposed to CVS. But are there other alternative therapies that could be beneficial? We've actually tried looking at meditation. And indeed, meditations seem to be effective in treating these patients, but there aren't too many studies as yet to see how effective complementary alternative therapies Okay, now we know what it is, but what's it like having and living with CVS? We had the opportunity to speak with someone who's willing to share their very personal story with us today. This is TJ, a local man in our community who by all accounts has a great life. Young, single, but with a girlfriend, an ambitious, career-driven, working professional. TJ's life isn't perfect. He deals with the same challenges life presents all of us. But unlike most of us, he does so in the face of one major challenge we can't even fathom. You see, TJ has cyclic vomiting syndrome, and he describes the experience of living with CVS as... Very, very disruptive. Yeah, big time. I mean, I was single for seven years because I didn't really go out much to socialize. You know, I'd go to dinner and stuff like that, but then when everybody would go out to the bars, I would try But when you were around all of these people who are having a lot of fun and you're really not, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to be there. Looking back, TJ says just prior to being diagnosed with CVS, he was... Just a regular college kid. I mean, wake up, go to class, study a little bit, and then go to the bars, and then do the... I mean, that's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, go to class just like normal, but very, very active in social, friends, but everybody puts on their freshman 15, and I definitely did. Yeah, just an everyday normal college kid. And during his college years, he says his overall health never caused him any concerns. What I thought was great, you know, perfect, I should say. I mean, I was never in the hospital. I was never sick. I never had an issue like I developed, not at all. Very healthy. But it was during his college experience that he noticed something was wrong with him. To the point where I would go out the night before with friends and get a little tipsy, and the next morning you would have a normal hangover. And... My hangover was a lot different than my friend's hangover. You know, they would have their hour, an hour and a half hangover, and then let's go eat. I wasn't able to get out of bed, and then I would throw up. I would throw up a lot, like mad crazy. And it was just not normal. And it came to the point where there was like a Tuesday morning, and I couldn't even get out of bed to go to class, and I hadn't had a sip of alcohol since Saturday night. So it's like, maybe it's not a hangover. TJ saw his regular physician, but a diagnosis for what was causing his severe symptoms wasn't immediate. In fact, it took a while. I want to say about two years. Over that time, his doctor took notes of his symptoms. TJ says between that and a family member advocating for him, they eventually got on the right path. My physician started looking over my notes and actually my dad, because he enjoys the research, he got on the computer and they both, honestly, on the same day, called each other and was like, hey, have you heard of cyclic vomiting syndrome? 
what is the CVS? And they looked into it, and then my physician called me in. He's like, I think we should go see somebody about this. Once he saw a specialist, it resulted in a very quick diagnosis. It was a long process of elimination because you can't test anything. There is no test to be done. So it was a process of elimination of other diseases that it could be. And then we finally went over to Freighter and saw Dr. V. And you know, she's obviously a cyclic vomiting expert. She knew right away it was cyclic vomiting syndrome. You would think being told he has a chronic disease might make TJ feel shocked, but he says finding out actually made him feel great. I was happy. I mean, most people would be upset, you know, they've got this thing, but it took such a long time to figure out what the heck was going on with me that I was just happy to finally figure out what it is. And then you read about it and you read that there might not be a cure for it. It might have it the rest of my life. And I was fine with that. But how could he be so okay accepting that he's faced with battling a chronic disease? I think I was fine with it because I know when an episode occurs or when an episode is coming on, I know how to deal with it now. Not to the full extreme. I mean, if there's a bad episode, yeah, it might have to go to the emergency room, sure. But I wouldn't want this disease wished on my worst enemy because they don't know how to deal with it. And it's just a long, hard process that I wouldn't want anybody to start over and try to figure out. So I'm glad it's me. I'm glad I know it. And when it's coming on, I know how to deal with it. So how does he deal with his CVS episodes? We asked TJ to take us through the experience of an episode based on the four phases Dr. Venkatesan told us about earlier. First, the prodromal phase. Which means that you have a premonition before you actually start vomiting, but they know that it's coming. Does TJ know when he's about to have an episode? Yeah, 100%, you can always tell. Honestly, an episode could occur right now, and I just all of a sudden start to feel like crap, and it'll start right on my stomach. And it'll be like, oh man, that was weird. And then like it happens again, and you're like, oh crap, here's an episode, and then it just comes out full force. Your body gets really warm, you start to sweat a lot, and the only thing that you can think of is getting the pain out. Then, the emetic phase. The emetic phase is where you are vomiting. And TJ says there's a lot more going on than just vomiting during this phase. There's stages that go on. There's a pain stage, there's a sweat stage, and then there's a pounding stage. And the pounding is different from the pain stage. The pain will come and it'll go. You'll be able to catch yourself, deep breaths, concentrate, relax, and it'll go. After that goes, you got about 30 to 45 seconds to figure out if you're gonna throw up. If you throw up, it's like somebody takes a knife and guts you in the stomach with the knife, but you don't feel it going to your stomach. You feel it rushing all the way up to your head. The one thing that TJ finds helps him through this phase a hot shower. I take a shower almost to the point where the hot water, like it's gone. And then I get out of the shower and I try to lay in bed and calm myself down and relax. And really what I'm waiting for is the shower to warm up. And it's a process of getting your body to be right until it goes away. The other day, I had a bad episode. When I say a bad episode, that means that I got in the shower probably at six in the morning and I had eight showers throughout the day and I wasn't good again until about four in the afternoon. You know, it was an all day, eight showers in and out. We asked Dr. Venkatesan about the hot shower phenomenon. When people are very sick, there is this behavior called a compulsive hot water bathing pattern where they will take very hot showers and this seems to make them feel better. So they'll get in, they'll get out, and I have patients who will actually check themselves into a hotel because they want to continue a supply of water. Next, 
the recovery phase. During the recovery phase, the patient is essentially recuperating. TJ definitely knows when he's recovering from an episode. When that nausea feeling goes away, it's gone pretty damn quick, to be honest with you. And I know for a fact that I'm in recovery mode. Where does that occur? It might be right after you throw up. If you don't throw up at all, it might just be after a shower. But it's definitely after the nausea. And then the wellness phase. Finally, you have the asymptomatic phase, and most people go back to baseline. There's telltale signs when TJ's feeling well. I can walk normally, like I'm not hunched over, I'm not looking for a blanket. When I can actually think about eating something is when I know I'm great. So the fact that I know I can think about food is when I know I'm good for the day. Between episodes, he tries not to think about his condition, with one notable exception. I try to forget that it's there. I really try not to let it control my life or what I want to do. The only time I would even think about it is if I have to travel. And I'm talking traveling on a flight five hours away, not driving down to Chicago or something like that, because I'm still a drive away from where I need to be to feel comfortable. But when we went to Europe two years ago, I actually got hospitalized in Amsterdam. That worried me a lot. But I don't think about it as long as I haven't had an episode in a while. So how often does TJ have episodes? It is so random. 2017 was probably my best year. I think I only had about five episodes all year. This year already, I've had eight. So very, very hard to say. If there's a bad month, it could be up to twice a week. In an episode, I'm talking about in and out of showers, feeling like crap, have to go to the hospital. That to me is an episode, not, oh, I don't feel good, I just gotta lay down for a little bit. That's not an episode. What about triggers? Dr. Venkatesan told us food is not commonly a trigger for many CVS patients. In CVS, a lot of patients actually don't seem to identify foods as triggers. But in TJ's case... This has taken my drinking away from me. I haven't had a sip of alcohol in about 10 years. And to stop drinking your senior year of college is not ideal. So that was the big change. No alcohol whatsoever, no soda whatsoever. I enjoyed soda and then eating. From the process of elimination of my notes of what I've eaten and triggered an episode, spices, hot foods, fried foods, and carbonation could put me into an episode like that. He has another trigger too, an unfortunate one considering Wisconsin weather. I cannot be cold. I can't wake up in a cold room. If I wake up in a cold room, that immediately will set my stomach up and it could be a bad morning. My body just needs to be warm and it's funny, I played hockey my entire life and I can't be cold. So that's how it is. As far as treating his CVS, TJ takes medication. Yeah, I used to take eight pills a day, down to three now, which is great. And along the way, he's discovered other ways to keep himself feeling better. I mean, it's gonna sound funny. When an episode's about to occur, it's almost like somebody's got their pants on too tight and you don't want that tightness. So <laughs> when I feel an episode coming on, I unbutton my pants and I loosen my belt up a little bit and sometimes that does it. So it's like those little things, that'll do the trick. For the most part, TJ says he doesn't let his CBS define him or affect his quality of life. I don't worry about when the next episode's gonna come. I just don't worry about tomorrow because today I'm feeling good. So I live my everyday life as normal as I can. But there's no denying that when an episode is upon him, he can focus on nothing else. When an episode's coming on, all I care about is feeling better and getting to a shower. The world is second. And all you care about is feeling better.
you really don't care about anything else in the world. It's sad to say, but that's how crappy you feel. And that's why TJ wants everyone to understand that someone with CVS can appear fine one minute, then suddenly become violently ill. Don't judge a book by its cover. You know, they might be hiding a lot of pain in their stomach and not showing you. It's a terrible disease. It's something that I want nobody to live with. Who wants to throw up? Nobody wants to throw up. It's the worst. If you or someone you know suffers from CVS, TJ has advice and encouragement for you. If you haven't discovered the hot shower yet and you have an episode, turn the hot shower on as hot as it goes. Get in that shower, lay down, and have that hot water pour on your stomach and just see if there's any relief. The hot shower is my best friend. And just try to be positive. It's a very negative disease. Enjoy life when you don't have an episode. Well, the hot shower isn't really his best friend. In fact, I just got engaged last Friday. Her name's Arpita. We've been dating about two and a half years, and yeah, it was time. Congratulations to them both. If you want to learn more about CVS, there are resources available. CVS guidelines for the first time in adults, that's going to be published and it's also going to be open access. Anybody can download it and print it off, which I think will be very helpful. They also have organizations like the Cyclic Vomiting Syndrome Association, which can give them a lot of information and help them along in this journey. So there's hope. There's hope indeed. We'll post links on our CTSI website along with the podcast of this show. Right now, though, we've reached the end and need to wrap up this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Our sincere thanks to today's guests, Dr. Thangam Venkatesan, and special thanks to TJ for being so open, honest, and willing to share his personal story. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. Join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to this program online and on demand, please visit the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin website at ctsi.mcw.edu. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.